Welcome to the Humans of Hospitality podcast. I know so many of you listening to this show love your local bar, your local restaurant, maybe your local hotel, and have so many fond memories of time in hospitality businesses. This is the podcast where we get to chat to the human beings behind the scenes of that industry. Maybe the chefs or the bakers or the coffee roasters or the gin distillers or the craft brewers or the entrepreneurs, but all doing an amazing job of making sure that hospitality stays interesting and the big dull formulaic brands do not take over our high street please enjoy the show Today we're going to be talking to David Sachs, who left his safe career in finance many years ago to invest in his first venture, The Cow, which was literally an overnight success, winning him the highest pub accolade, National Pub of the Year. A few years later, and he ends up serving the likes of Guy Ritchie, Madonna, Jeremy Clarkson and Jamie Oliver when he takes over another incredible pub, the Museum Inn. But eventually he sells them both because the 18-hour days were taken their toll on both his bank balance and his family so why oh why six years later is david coming back into hospitality he's now created a cafe bar bistro hybrid it's open nearly 18 hours a day he says he might actually have a screw loose but you can decide when you hear about the roller coaster story behind his latest venture maison sax enjoy the conversation David Sachs, thank you so much for uh, sparing some time and welcoming me to your venue this morning. How are you? I'm very well. Thanks, Mark. Yeah, super. Good, good. So um, I like to start these. I love coming to people's venues to start these podcasts and uh, and just start by just explaining where we are, the environment we're sat in, which is actually quite entertaining, uh, and how long you've been here and a little bit a little bit about Maison Sachs. Okay, so um, we are, for sort of sound reasons, we're, we're actually in our uh, bistro at the moment, but um, as we are sort of still in uh, breakfast service, um, I have positioned us in our wine cellar. Yeah, which is, which is brilliant because it's, it's also made of glass. So anybody outside must wonder what the hell's going on looking into where there's normally some delicious wines. It's a bit chilly in here, isn't it? But we are, in essence, in a, uh, a fishbowl. We are, um, yeah, and it's uh, temperature controlled, so um, I have turned that off. Yeah, um, and uh, I'm sure our wines, you know, won't struggle, you know, as it's only uh, an hour or so. Um, but um, yeah, it could get quite tempting in here, actually. I just say, if it does, I'm, I'm kind of hoping that a few of them don't cope with much of a variation in temperature. And we have to crack them open and drink them. Very Albeit happy. It is only uh, it's only five past ten. So. Mark, as, as, as my as my uh, lawyer and great friend once said to me, you are pushing against an open door. Okay, <laughs> perfect. That's good to know. Um, and then. Yeah, so how long has this building been here? How long have you been, yeah, running Maison Sachs? So um, we opened the doors uh, to Maison Sachs on the 7th of September, uh, 2018. So we've been running um, about four months. Okay, excellent. And then you're a man of, of kind of, you know, many careers, I think. I know you've done, you've done finance, you've done property, you've done hospitality. What is your, what's the core that makes David's heart beat? Well, um, I guess way back, um, actually talking about you know, my, my lawyer friend, um, uh, I was uh, involved in property 
in the uh, in the mid eighties, just as you know, just you know, uh, an estate agent, fledgling estate agent, and uh, I used to. Um, recommend a particular law firm and uh, this chap sort of took me under his wing and you know he's he's become sort of uh, over the years a surrogate uh, father to me really and um, he took me to the Tewton Glen um, which is uh, a beautiful Relais Chateau property which you obviously know very well Um, uh, in in the sort of you know mid to late 80s um, because he he knew that I was I was interested in food and wine but 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 had very very limited knowledge and he took me for this lunch and there was a light bulb that just went off in my head Um, I'll never forget I you know I know exactly where we were sat there were two uh, prestige car dealers who who were sort of clearly celebrating a massive deal, and I said to my you know, my friend Des, I said, "Yeah, what are they drinking? What are they drinking? It's in a decanter. What is it?" And he said, "Well, I look, uh, son, you know, I know what it is. I'll I'll get half a bottle and we'll taste it." Um, and that half bottle was called Leoval Barton, and. It blew my mind. It was, you know, I now, I mean, I didn't know anything about it then, um, but now I, you know, obviously know it's it's a fantastic, uh, you know, claret from Saint Julian, um, and is a second growth wine, um, and it it, it just. It just, like I say, it was, you know, it, it, a light bulb just went off in my head, and I thought, I just love food and wine. How old were you at this point? I guess I was. 21, okay. 22. Yeah. 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 And uh, I then, I you know, distinctly then remember buying uh, GQ magazine had just come out in this, in this country. Always remember that. I don't know why, because uh, I don't, I'm not a fan of basketball, but I remember the front cover was a, of a guy called Magic Johnson. And there was a five page article on Chateau Aubryon uh, from Graves. And I thought, how can anyone write an article, a five-page article in a magazine about wine? So I read it, and I read it again and kept going and kept this magazine until one day, um, uh, <laughs> very funny story, um, there was uh, a guy in my office who was going out with a girl and he dumped her. And uh, this was in Bournemouth town centre. And she wanted to get back at him. So she made a pass at me and she said, do you want to come and have dinner at the Royal Bath with me tonight? And I said, yeah, why not? I'm not doing anything. Unbeknown to me, she knew that this guy was going to be at the Royal Bath with his new squeeze, but wanted to to get back at him with me. I was just the patsy. And she gave me the wine list and she said, right, I know this guy likes wine, so you order whatever you want. And I got the wine list. And it was, you know, back in the day, the Royal Bath was a, you know, a really nice wine list. And um, she said, have what you want. I said, really? What, whatever I want. She said, just order. I don't care about the money. Order what you want. Of course, I go to the back pages and find a 1964 Chateau and yeah, back then it was about 150 pounds. You know, now you're talking, you know, it was like probably 400 pounds. And I ordered it and it was a big fuss. And then this guy walked in with his squeeze, daggers, daggers at her, daggers at me. And then the real daggers were for the Aubryon because he couldn't believe that there I was sat there with his ex-girlfriend who he didn't like. He did, you know, he dumped her. And I, you know, I wasn't bothered about the girl, but God, I fell in love with the Aubryon. 
And, you know, it starts you on another journey. You know, it, it, you, each, for me, you know, with food and wine, if you, you, you taste something, you, and I immediately want to know more about it. You know, where does it come from? What, what is it? You know, what's, what's the chateau next door to it? You know, what, what, you know, what's the story? And, you know, people say to me, well, how do you know, you know, how do you know, you know all this you know, information about wine? It's quite simple. I just drink a lot. <laughs> You've got to drink a lot of wine to know about lot, wine. A lot of commitment. Well yeah, done. absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> you don't get this body. Yeah. You were lucky <laughs> that people were taking you decent places. And I got taken to Pizza Hut, I think, when I was 21. So it could have been a very different trajectory uh, if, you, if you've been taken somewhere naff. Thank God they took you to great places uh, and, uh, and sowed that seed. So how do you go from, from yeah, that, that initial seed, like you say, at the time you were an estate agent, what was the time gap before you actually got into hospitality? Got, got into the trade. So... Um, you know, I had this 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 interest. It was it was it was nothing more than an interest. You you know, and I started. Um, you know, my my mentor said, "Look, that's not the real world." You know, Leville Barton, Obreon's not the real world. The real world is you know the bread and butter, the five quid you know stuff. And uh, he just sort of told me to go and find um, Grand Cru Beaujolais, so Fleurés and Brouets and and. Uh, 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 Santa Moore and those things, and and it just, I just had this bubbling sort of interest, and it was, it wasn't getting out of control. It was just a really good interest, and that was sort of fermenting away for some time, um, and then uh, from the Tuton Glen, uh, Robin Hudson and you know the late great you know dearly you know dear man Gerard Basset opened the Hotel de Van. And I think in about 94, and um, by this time I'd sort of left, you know, sort of the, uh, the, the sort of property business and gone into finance. Uh, I joined a big sort of insurance company in 92. And we would hop on the train from Bournemouth uh, with, you know, my pal, the lawyer and a couple of other mates. And the Hotel de Van, for me change things massively because here's you know robin hudson used to go to uh, go to work at the tutan glen as the managing director dressed in a pinstripe suit and gerard would be you know sort of stood there sort of uh, you know, as the head wine sommelier of the tutan glen starch collar tie you know apron um and suddenly they opened the hotel de van and you know gerard's in a pair of jeans yeah. and robin sort of got an open shirt on and he's growing his hair and you know it's all very relaxed and uh, James Martin was the first head chef there. And uh, I never forget, one of his classic first dishes was uh, um, uh, a lamb shank cooked for originally four hours, then it went to six hours, then it went to eight hours. And it was just, it, it, I'd never heard of lamb shank then. I'm going back sort of, you know, 25, 30 years ago. And it was just phenomenal. And we could get this... You know, it was mismatched tables and chairs. Um, the food was amazing. There was no starched tablecloths or overbearing waiters. Um, the wine was amazing, but it was also a price point. And I would just, I'd go there, you know, sort of two or three years. Um, and I was establishing myself in, in quite a, a nice, comfortable career. And I, I used to do a lot of business in London. And um, it was, you know, the term which I absolutely detest, and I'm sure you will as well, that the, the, the term gastro pub exploded onto the London scene. But these were proper gastro pubs. These were pubs in the same sort of style of the Hotel de Van where you'd have a very talented 
sous chef, maybe of a Michelin star kitchen, would leave and not go into, you know, one of the big hotels, but he'd leave, he'd, he'd get a loan and he'd open an old boozer. But in the style of the Hotel de Van, where, you know, mismatched tables and chairs, the decor was put together for a pittance, but the food was amazing and it was relaxed. And once again, and I just, I just fell in love with this movement. And um, I think you, you kind of, I think you need uh, a, a sort of, you know, there's a crossroads in people's lives. And my mother passed away and it was a time of reflection. And I thought, you know, do I really want to be in finance for the rest of my life wearing this pinstripe suit? And I thought, I really, I want to open one of these pubs in Poole. And I kept going to these pubs and um, I'd organised my appointment diary for sort of Thursday and Friday. And Friday I'd be, you know, I'd go to, you know, one of these sort of, you know, the Angel or um, the Eagle in Farringdon. And I'd go and have lunch on my own and, have, you, know, you know, get a little bit merry and have a bottle of wine. And I remember standing in the cow in Westbourne Park Road uh, in, in, in southwest London, and it was buzzing. It was a Friday lunchtime. There was trays of oysters going out. The waiters were skidding on the floorboards. I was drinking a pint of Guinness, and I was thinking, this is, this is it. This, what am I doing? What am I doing? And I sat down. I had lunch. I got a bit, you know, sort of uh, over-refreshed, got back on the train, went down to my local... Uh, local bistro, Banks Bistro, which, you know, has uh, uh, some fondness in your heart. Yeah. And um, I remember going in and talking to the girls. I said, I, I, I'm going to, a bit drunk, I'm going to buy a pub and I'm going to call it The Cow and it's going to be amazing. And you, you, you probably won't be in business when I, and they just said, oh, shut up and threw me out because I was an idiot. And then, lo and behold, you know, three years later, I, I bought the Parkstone Hotel um, in the end of 2002 with a mate of mine who was a builder. He said, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll do that with you. And uh, in August 2003, we opened the cow for business. Amazing. And that's, yeah, that was the journey. Yeah, incredible. That, that well, got me started. Yeah, it did. And the cow was... You know, again, I, I didn't live this side of town and I was probably up in London at that point. But I remember it, it felt like from, from outside a kind of instantaneous success. I'd always hear about it. It was really busy. Is that true or did it take a bit of time to build? What sort of style was it when you first opened it and, and did that evolve? Well, um, you're right. I mean, it literally took off like an Exocet missile. You know, from the, the moment we opened the doors... We just we just got knocked over. It was just full, um, and yeah, very funny story. Um, it was an old uh, Eldridge Pope pub, um, so old Dorset Brewers been around for a few hundred years, and um, the we found you know once again that you know this 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 lawyer friend of mine Des said right I found the pub I found the you know this is it this is this is the one for you and it wasn't even for sale but we went in and it was just. It was appalling. Um, you know, our feet were sticking to the carpet. It just stank. There was, you know, there was no one in there. The, the, the landlord was, you know, very unkept. And I thought, wow, this is it. This is what we need to buy. And it took a long time, but, but um, we got the deal over the line and we exchanged contracts, uh, weirdly, on a Saturday morning. Um, and uh, the, so the deal was done and I went back in between exchange and completion and the landlord said to me, 
are you the new governor? I said, oh, yeah, well, I, I suppose I am, you know, still being a mortgage broker at that point. And he said, well, I, d- I don't mind telling you, mate, you, you've messed this up already. The darts team have gone. The pool team are off. You've got a set. You've got a B team, the, the pool team. They might stay if you're, if you're quick. And you've got Pool Scale Electric Club upstairs in the, uh, in the room upstairs. And I said, right, OK, right, thanks for letting me know. And um, in their last year, because I had their accounts, because obviously we we bought the business, um, they turned over £75,000 for the year. And in my first year, we turned over 846000 That's a thirsty Scale Electric Club, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> well, the Scale Electric Club left their track there. And, wow. we kept, and we kept saying, look, you've got to come and pick up this track. And um, in the end, we just threw it out the window. And um, you know, with help from one of our wine consultants, um, we got the Scale Electric room um, sponsored by Alain Tierno Champagne. And the Tierno Gallery was born. And um, that was used basically about 150 times a year. Wow. So sort of almost every other day, someone was doing some sort of function uh, in our room. And, and yeah, I mean, it just literally took off like a missile. Um, it's fantastic. Uh, and was that predominantly food-led or, or wet-led? It was, it was probably 60-40 then in, in favour of, uh, of wet. Because we, we, we had a, you know, we sold a lot of beer. So, so you, you know, we had, you know, one side was a bistro and that was about a 54 cover bistro. Um, and the other side was, was, you know, a nice, you know, sort of fairly contemporary pub. Um, yeah, we were we were very big into rugby at the time, so you know we showed you know the rugby, but we'd also do things like black tie rugby dinners. So we had people like Gareth Chilcott and Jonathan Davis and and David Duckham come down, and 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 so and they would do sort of you know these rugby dinners for us. Um, and so we kind of you know we, it was it was quite sophisticated. In, in, in many respects. But then you'd have customers that, that would come in, you know, most days and even, you know, the, the sort of eight, nine years that, 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 that I operated um, the business, you know, some of the beer drinkers never even went into the bistro, never even had a look, was never even curious. Um, and then we had people that, you know, never went into the pub, just walked straight through into the, into the bistro. So, you know, it was... It, it, I can't say it was food-led, yeah, not like you know our business today. Um, but uh, yeah, it was just really successful. It was, it was a phenomenally steep learning curve because I was a mortgage broker. Yeah, I was going to say my, my next question was exactly that. From going from one side of the bar, kind of enjoying nice wine and kind of looking at it, going, "This looks like a nice industry," and then being the other side of it, what what was the biggest learning and the biggest change? Did you did you fit straight into it, or was it a big, uh, yeah, big learning curve? It's you know, it's that classic thing really mark of um when when i when i was a lad i used to f- sort of follow football and, and 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 retired footballers always bought pubs and retired footballers who bought pubs always became alcoholics and people think and it's sort of they've got this sort of uh, um dream to own up lots of people have this dream and they think that it will be amazing you know buying a restaurant or buying a pub and you and i know you know the 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 the, the dream and and um you know and the reality are two you know very very different things so there I was. I knew I knew about food. I knew about wine. Um, you know, I'd been around you know lots of 
um, well, I dined in obviously lots of um, very, you know, sort of established, renowned, um, you know, incredible restaurants and, you know, Gordon Ramsay once took me round his kitchen, showed me round when uh, when I happened to be having lunch at Royal Hospital Road. So I knew a bit, but the learning curve, I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't a curve, it was a vertical. And, you know, we opened and, you know, I'm sure our stock takes were horrendous. I'm sure we were losing. I mean... It was always profitable, our business, but, but you know, the, 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 we, I didn't have the, you know, stock take. What's that? You know, we didn't even get to a stock take. And pretty soon, my, my, my relationship with my business partner, who was a builder, you know, he turned around to me sort of like a week in. He said, you don't know what you're doing. And I said, well, I know I don't. I never said that I did. You know, I just said I wanted to open a pub. I didn't say I knew how to run one. And so there started quite a fractious relationship. Um, and basically, we, we pulled a manager in. And then, you know, slowly but surely, and, you know, there was staffing issues and people left. And we opened with what was considered to be a bit of a stellar chef. And he wasn't that good. Um, but eventually, if you go, and, 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 and you know this, um, if you work seven days a week, in any business, um, particularly our, our line of work, eventually you get to understand it. Brilliant for losing weight because I wasn't eating. I was, I was literally you know, getting there at you know, sort of eight in the morning and leaving at two in the morning, going home, going to bed, waking up and doing it all again. Um, and so, you know, in the early, uh, you know, the early weeks, months, it was, you know, it was a, a learning vertical. Um, but eventually, you, you know, you, you, you love it. You know, you do. And you kind of, it's, it's weird because, you know, you've been in the same position as I have where you've got a packed restaurant or a packed venue. I mean, literally, you can't squeeze another person in. And people come up to you and say, my goodness, you must be so proud of yourself. And you think, I haven't even thought about it. I haven't. I'd be, because the opposite is an empty restaurant. And that never entered my head that we'd have one of those. But it, when it was full, and it was continually full, people would say, my God, it, it's amazing. What, you, you must be thrilled. And you think, it's just hard work. I, you know, the, I, I didn't give myself a pat on the back. I didn't think, didn't go to my head. I wasn't, as you and I have both seen, those people that just stand at the bar, click their fingers at their staff, drinking champagne. They think they're an operator. That's not an operator. You know, an operator is, I went to my chef and said, right, I need to understand how this kitchen works. I need to come and work in the kitchen. So, yeah, great. Okay, so can we, we don't call you boss, we just literally abuse you. I said, yeah, abuse me. And I remember they had me de-bearding de mussels, five kilo bags of mussels. Um, the water was, it wouldn't matter. I had a sort of, you know, sort of a, a paring knife. It wouldn't matter if I cut my fingers off because I wouldn't, I couldn't feel them anyway. And I stood there and it took, I mean, they could do it in like literally 20 minutes, you know, an hour and a half later, I'd finally finished de-bearding this five kilo bag of mussels. And I said, right, I'm done. I said, oh, all right, great. Okay. There's another three. And he go, what? You know, and there I just stood. And I remember sort of getting to the end of the week, the Sunday, and I would, and we we'd do a Sunday lunch service, um, which would finish about three o'clock, and then we'd do a deep clean, so two hours in the kitchen, you know, 
unscrew the cookers, cookers come away, you know exactly you know, what I'm talking about. And we cleaned and we cleaned and, you know, literally you could eat your lunch off the floor of our kitchen. Um, you know, we had some great boys there and I was shattered. I was absolutely shattered. I drove home, got home about six o'clock in my chef whites. I sat in a chair, uh, six o'clock. I woke up midday the next day. I hadn't moved. Hadn't even gone to lie down. I was still sat upright and, and slept for, you know, God knows how many hours. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it was a baptism of fire. Yeah. And I think it's so important to do that, particularly with the chefs. I think, you know, I, I, you know, you hear of so many operators or you see so many owner-chef relationships which are poor. You know, the amount of respect I've got for a brigade of chefs on a Saturday night when there's orders coming in, it's, you know, I used to, I used to help run the pass down at Urban Reef and, uh, and I'd be with my chef and, and sometimes I'd help him out by plating up because he'd be busy on the cook line and stuff like that. And I was reasonable at kind of, you know, making the dishes look pretty and all that. I'd let them do the cooking. and I'd Dress, do Dressing on, chef. Yeah, yeah, dress it on. And uh, and then all of a sudden, you know, when it proper kicked off, he would literally step in front of me and it was, I, I felt like it was like in the Matrix where they see binary. They just see all of these tickets in code and they're jumping around tickets with dishes and they're working out which dishes take the longest and timings. And it was like, you know, I was kind of felt like I was watching him in, in slow motion with the speed that he was actually working and all this stuff he's pulling through yeah. and putting on the pass, you know, like hats off to him how mm. they do it. It is a tough, tough industry. And I think maybe we'll touch on it later, but that's that's the challenge for the sector now is kind of recruiting good chefs and yeah. keeping them and motivating because it's a challenging. But um, yeah, so hats off to you for getting in there and getting in the thick of it as well, because I think too many operators don't. And like you say, they're just lifestyle business, sat at the end of the bar, drinking a glass of wine, thinking it's going gonna, it's gonna to work and it, and it doesn't. You've mm. got to get stuck in. I don't think for the first two years I was in business I ever ate a hot meal you know I'd order I'd order some some lunch or make some lunch or my breakfast and it would sit on the side for three or four hours and I'd eventually I'd get to it but uh, yeah all part of the learning so um during that journey at some point I, I'm trying to remember the, the time gap but um the museum yeah. number two how yeah. on earth do you go from that and that carnage and that chaos and that buzz to go in I definitely need another one what's that story <laughs> well that story is that that I, I'm clearly an idiot <laughs> yeah likewise I share your pain um I think, I don't know, did, you know, did the success go to my head? I don't think the success went to my head, but um, it was, I bought my partner out after two years. So um, 2005, uh, I was then, you know, sort of captain of my own ship, which was, which was great for both of us. And um, we, the kitchen... My my head chef, who you know, when I sold the business, he he started as a you know chef de partie with me in in August two thousand and three, um, but he came up through the ranks, and we just everything sort of started to click that. Um, we we knew we'd be full every weekend. We knew we could do these functions. We we knew the numbers, um, and we had. A lot of consistency in in the kitchen, so guys didn't leave us, and I, I, I you know, and um, they didn't leave us because I I respected them, they respected me, um, I really looked after them, you know, I'd, I you know, every Christmas after Christmas I'd I'd let them name which Michelin rest, which Michelin star restaurant they wanted to go to, and I'd take them all close I'd close the business for a day and you know take them up in a train and we'd you know go to Ramsey's go to the Fat Duck you know go to the Gavroche you know whatever wherever they wanted to go and so we had this it was a really good business and family and you know we 
they trusted me to fill the place with functions, events, and just keep pushing. And I trusted them to just keep delivering. And um, we we were, uh, I think, contacted by the, the trade press at the time um, was something called The Publican or The Morning Advertiser. Um, not to be confused with the Paul advertiser, um, but the morning advertiser was a was a, a trade publication. Came out every week, and they used to have um, uh, uh, sort of pub of the year, restaurant of the year awards, and uh, we were invited to sort of enter. And uh, that was um, sort of 2006, end of 2006. And 2007, um, we were sort of contacted and said, oh, um, you've been invited to the award ceremony in London. Um, And this paper went to 36,000 pubs (laughs) when the UK had 36,000 pubs. Um, And I said, oh, should we bother going? And, and, you know, sort of one of the managers said, yeah, come on, boss, let's go. So... We, you know, four of us went up just to sort of go up, really, because we were suggested that we should go. And we got, you know, to this huge venue, probably a thousand people having dinner and uh, not, I mean, we weren't even you know, expecting to win anything or do anything. And um, uh, free house of the year, the shortlist uh, was the cow in pool. And I went, blimey. Right. Oh, we're on the shortlist of, you know, free house of the year. And um, and the winner is the cow in pool. So, you know, lights go up, you know, sort of, you know, fanfare, go on stage. And uh, Rob Bryden presented me with, you know, sort of, you know, national free house of the year, you know, sort of uh, award, sat back down again. And they then explained to us that each category, so uh, leasehold pub of the year and uh, uh, wine pub of the year and uh, kitchen of the year and beer pub of the year, they were all then into the pot for um, national pub of the year. So not not just your category, it was the pub of the year. The cow, pool, won pub of the year. Fanfare went up, they gave me a cheque for 5,000 quid. Uh, we were on, you know, literally cloud, you know, cloud nine. Um, I took, uh, I took the team to the Ritz. You know, we we had a late night, and it was an amazing buzz. And come, you know, I came back to Paul, and I thought, right, okay, this is almost running itself. You know, I wanted to be tested. I wanted to be pushed to the limit, which I was in two thousand and three. But we're now sort of two thousand and seven. You know, and. It can, you know, kind of run itself. I, I think we need to expand the brand. Let's, you know, let's buy another pub. And um, I had been approached by some uh, some investors and said, "Look, we we you know we want to get involved in your business." And uh, I said, "Well, okay. Well, I'm I'm looking. I don't need any investors in this venue, you know, venue, but I'm looking to expand." They said, "Well, let us back you. You know, let's. We'll you put some money in. We'll put some money in." And what I should have done was buy another wreck and I could have bought another wreck, but my heart ruled my head. And I'd heard about this pub called the museum Inn in uh, North Dorset. And there was lots of, and I'd been there and I'd been for lunch and, you know, I I got to know the owner and she happened to come up to me one day and said, Oh, you know, how's trade? I said, yeah, really good. Just one pub of the year. Oh yeah. I heard about that. She said, you know, I'm selling. I said, oh, I didn't. And in actual fact, I'm buying another pub as we speak. She said, well, we'll buy this one. And I said, oh, blimey. Yeah, that's, that's, that wasn't on the radar. And um, anyway, long story short, 
that's what we did. We we bought the museum, and uh, yeah, then then <laughs> then things started to get you know sort of uh, tough. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Go on. Why? So I, I I know you ended up with a reputation for Guy Ritchie and Madonna and all these famous Jamie coming to stay and all this kind of stuff. But what had you bought? I didn't I didn't know it at the time. Well, the 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 difference you know with what I bought was you know I it was already a successful business, and where you know I bought the freehold of um, of the Parks and Hotel for three hundred and twenty five thousand. I bought the freehold uh, of the museum in for two million seven hundred thousand. Not only that, my timing was on the fourth of January two thousand and eight. So I was amazed that we actually well we put a million quid in, you know. So um, you know uh, between us, uh, so we got the funding. Had we left it any any longer, we you know, literally probably a month longer. We wouldn't have got the funding and I'd have been stuck at the cow and sort of probably my golf handicap would have sort of plummeted. And, um, yeah, the story you know, would be very different. But, um, you know, we got stuck in um, and, you know, suddenly it was, it's great having investors. Um, but this is just me and 65 staff and, you know, 14 chefs. And I had a young family. Um, very, very young family. My, my, my son, uh, my second son was born in December 2007 and we completed 4th of Jan 2008. And it takes all your time. And with, with an established business, you, what, you're, what you don't realise is you're buying a culture. And these people are not with you, i.e. they didn't grow with you. You know, I walk through Ashley Cross now and, you know, even now, even when I came out of the trade, people would say, yes, David, David, you know, what you did for Ashley Cross, the cows, oh, please, yeah, go back and, you know, they grew with me and put me on a bit of a pedestal. And that's nice because it, you know, it's nice to get recognition. Buying an established business, it was, well, who are you? Who are you buying our pub? This is our pub. And you suddenly start to fall out with the locals because you say, oh, hold on a minute, it's my pub. And, you know, I didn't understand sort of, you know, sort of lo local country pubs. And they do genuinely think it's theirs. And you then have to re-educate them and say, actually, it's not yours, it's mine. And so, and being sort of, you know, a little bit sort of short-tempered, you know, they would be told in no uncertain terms whose pub it was. And so it was... Yeah, it was it, it, it was quite tough. You know, I did, you know, I did enjoy it. Um, and we got out, we, you know, when I sold, I sold in, uh, what did I say, 2012-ish. Um, you know, we were unscathed. But, you know, I think, I genuinely believe that we, we improved the offering at the museum. The food, you know, got incredible plaudits. Um, you know, we had that, you know, starry um, connection with with the Ashcombe estate and, and Guy Ritchie and Madonna. Um, we ended up doing all of their catering. So during the, the shoot season, all of their guests who were shooting at Ashcombe would come and stay with us three times a week. Um, and you're talking about some fairly stellar people. You know, you're talking about the the top end of you know the business world you're talking about you know some some you know really uh you know sort of people that inspired me you know so you know marco pierre white and jamie oliver and giorgio locatelli and 
A.A. Gill, you know, the late great restaurant critic, you know, all these guys stayed with us. Clarkson, Clarkson actually stayed at our pub and didn't thump anyone because we fed him. Not even you. Not wow. even me. No, no, no. Clark, well, he's a big man. So uh, <laughs> true. You, you match. So it was, it was an incredible, it was an incredible time. I remember, and I, I got introduced to, to Guy very early on and, you know, we, we, you know, we liked having a pint. And we liked, you know, chewing the fat. And he, he you know, he was very, very approachable. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, we enjoyed, you know, lots of, uh, you know, sort of uh, drinking you know, sessions together, both at Ashcombe and in his pub in Farm Street. Um, he owned the Punch Bowl and I had a couple of lock-ins with him there and he's just really down to earth, you know, really, uh, really, you know, great bloke. Um, but... Um, yeah, I wouldn't change anything because of the doors that it opened, the people um, that I was introduced to. You know, I mean, Jamie Oliver you know, was a fantastic guest. Uh, I mean, just exactly as you see him on the TV, you know, totally interested in you, totally interested in the kitchen. You know, he put an apron on, got stuck in, you know, to, to the kitchen, you know, met all the guys. And he was, you know, each time I met, I don't know, Jamie probably stayed, you know, sort of seven or eight, nine times with us. Um, just genuinely interested in our business, not interested in talking about him. You know, everyone knew about you know, him. He, you know, he said, how's business? What are you doing? You know, how's the menu going? You know, and just a really, really great bloke. Really great bloke. Yeah, got a lot of you know, a lot of admiration for for, for Jamie Oliver. Mm, that's good to hear. Mm. I actually saw a photo of you and Jamie, and there was a chef called Kane, I think, at the time, who was uh, who was a fairly young chef. How did his career pan out? I was interested to know. Uh, well, uh, you know, uh, um, we try and do you know, good, don't we? You know, we're on the planet, and you try and help people, and if you can, you know, I, I always, you know, I've done a little, you know, bit of, you know charitable work and you know it's all about time time and effort and you know you go well if if i can i will and we had this lad who um came from a broken home and um we took him on as a i think might have even been a, a pot washer on a saturday but then he said look i'm really interested in the kitchen and we said right okay well look you know come and work for us weekends um and we try to get him you know involved and and he was he was you know he was really keen and I uh, rang um, his headmaster at his school and I said, look, this is who I am. You know, I employ you know, this young lad, goes to your school. Um, I really want to try and inspire this, this kid. He's, he's not had the best of, of lives. He was living with a foster family who were very nice to him. But I just wanted to try and give him a break. And I said, look, you know, if he gets his head down, I'll put him through college. I'll pay for him to, you know, to go to college and what have you. I said, but... Next Tuesday, I've I've got Jamie Oliver staying with me. You know, I've got to know Jamie, and um, I would like Kane to meet Jamie. Come up, so I'm going to pick him up from home. Um, he's not going to come to school if you you know agree to this, and I want to introduce him to Jamie Oliver and get him enthused and inspire him. Yeah, 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 absolutely, no problem at all. David, amazing. So I go to his foster home. You know, it's like seven in the morning, and you know he opens the door. Uh, you're shocked to see me. Mr. Sachs, what are you, what are you doing here? I said, right, um, I've got somebody who wants to meet you. Am I, am I in trouble? No, 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 you're not in trouble. This is all good, Kane. Don't worry. It's all good. Um, but, but where am I going? I said, look, just trust me. Um, 
I'm going to take you to our other pub that you haven't been to. Well, yeah, why are we going there? I said, well, um, Jamie Oliver wants to meet you. Sorry? And the blood, you know, sort of literally ran from his face. And he said, well, why? I said, look, it's all good. Just trust me. Anyway, we went up. Jamie was, was, was shooting on Guy's estate. Um, but he's having breakfast. He'd always come with a big entourage. I mean, he'd bring way too many people. You know, there's, there's only eight spaces on a shoot and Jamie would normally bring 20 people and they'd just have a jolly and everything else. And Jamie bounds out of uh, the breakfast room. I said, oh, Kane, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm Jamie. And he's like, <laughs> couldn't believe it. And he said, look, you know, tell me about, David told me all about you. So what's your aspirations? What's your goals? You've got to go to college. You've got to, you know, and pumped this guy up and got a book. He always he would carry around boxes of his latest book and signed it to Kane, Jamie, you know, and this, he was shaking this lad. And, uh, you know, we had a really great chat with Jamie and that, that sort of made the press took him back to school and he just, he, he said, I, I'm going to, I'm going to cook every one of these recipes in this book, Mr. Sachs. I'm going to take it to my grandmother. You know, I don't see, you know, I'm going to, I'm, I, this is it. This is my career. And, um, he joined the national front and left his job and goodness knows whatever wow. became of him. Really? And okay. you think, well, yeah, I mean, Jamie has done it probably thousands and thousands of times. And, uh, you just think, well, okay, we do it again. You do it again, I do it again, but you just think, oh, you know, yeah, what a shame. And one yeah. of the things I love most about this industry is that opportunity to bring people into it who you wonder which direction they'd go in if they didn't have hospitality because you don't need to have, you know, qualifications and degrees and all that kind of stuff. You fundamentally just need to have a great work ethic uh, and be able to look people in the eye and kind of, you know, have a bit of banter and a smile and you can fly really fast, which is really exciting. But yeah, the frustration of opening those doors and creating those environments where it's possible... And then, yeah, seeing so many, so many disappear, and whether it's booze or drugs no. or whatever and disappear off the rails is, is disappointing, isn't it? Because it is a genuine opportunity. This industry is is phenomenal when you get it right and, and when it's buzzing. Um, but equally, it's full of, you know, misfits and crazy people, which actually is part of the reason that I love it. But it's also part of the reason why, why I'm bold. I've been pulling my hair out more than you. Um, so... Congratulations on what you did at the museum. It had a great reputation. You'd hear the stories coming out of there. I was very much aware of it locally. I didn't come. I was disappointed. You sold it too quickly. Um, when you sold it with 2011, I think, and, and, and the cow at the same time, just to yeah. explain what, what happened there. What was your reason? Because it was, the thing that fascinates me about you, and one of the biggest reasons I wanted to come and chat to you, is you got out of this industry and, and, and you came back. And it's such a tough sector. It's such a buzz when it's working, but it is a tough, tough sector and it lured you back in. So I really want to know, yeah, what, what, what made you get out and then the next bit we'll talk about is why the bloody hell did you come back <laughs> so yeah what made you leave first of all well you know it was a very very tough trading environment um i mean the recession didn't really i don't know why but didn't seem to sort of hit our business um until a little bit later you know there was sort of casualties in in lots of different sectors sort of in in 09 you know and that that kind of period but we, it didn't really sort of sales dried up a bit um but you know the cow always made a profit um the museum 
yeah, we had a healthy turnover, um, which you know was you know pretty much down to marketing and sheer hard work. Um, you know, it's very easy you know to sort of take money you know with you know some incredibly wealthy guests in the shoot season, but what happens after that? So we'd run a dinner, bed, and breakfast offer for ninety nine pounds, and so we we were okay, but we only ever with the museum we only ever broke even. The best I got it to was breaking even. And you think, you know, you're turning over, you know, say 100,000 quid a month and you're not making a pound. Now, you know this industry and you, you turn over a lot more you know, th- than that. Um, but to, to, to generate 100 grand in a month takes a huge amount of effort. And to not make a quid, you just think, what the hell am I doing this for? You know, my marriage was imploding. I had two young sons. And I just thought, this is maybe not the right time to be, you know, I've done it. I've, I've achieved what I set out to achieve. Sadly, I haven't made my millions, but for my sanity, for my family, um, I've had enough. I've, I've got to the point where I am exhausted. Um, and I just felt I couldn't, I couldn't ratchet it up because I just run out of energy. And, you know, my, my, you know, sort of, uh, the 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 uh, the obvious things that was happening to my personal life. I just thought I need. I just need to sell, and it wasn't the right time to sell. That you know what 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 you know, and lots of businesses have just you know battened down the hatches and and traded through it. Um, you you know you've traded through it incredibly successfully, and lots of you know places around um, the local area here have. But I, I didn't have it in me. I didn't have the fight and the energy required when I was trying to keep my family together. And so I sold. Uh, I sold uh, the cow to Green King and I sold um, the museum to uh, a pub company called Cirrus Inns, who are now, you know, really successful country pub organization. And um, the inevitable happened with my marriage. um, And uh, thankfully, you know, I managed to uh, retain, you know, sort of 50% custody of my sons. Um, which was really, really important to me. That was the only thing that I was really you know, concerned about was my was my two young boys. Um, and I went into property. I thought, yeah, lots of mates have gone into property. They all drive nice cars. Can't be that hard. And so I went into that and realised that, you know, that's a tough game as well. Um, but I kind of went into it for the wrong reason. You know, I just thought, oh, everyone's doing it. That'll be easy. You know, I, I, I did a few deals. I did okay you know, bought one really bad deal. Um, you have to wait an incredible length of time to actually earn any money out of property. And um, I I met a lovely girl who I'd known um, from a long time ago at the cow. And she just said to me, what are you doing? I said, what do you mean, what am I doing? She said, what, what on earth, what are you doing? This property thing. I said, well, I'm a property developer. She said, just go and buy another pub. Do what you're good at. Do what's in your veins, in your blood. And she said, buy the Britannia. I said, are you insane? I said, the Britannia's a shithole. And she said, yeah, buy the Britannia. And I said, oh, no, 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 no. It's not, you know, the pub is dead. And I still believe the pub is dead. You know, I'm sure there are, you know, successes out there. But um, I needed to come up with a formula that, that I believed in. And it wasn't doing another cow. It wasn't doing a museum. And I looked 
and spoken to um, some some business uh, uh, associates, uh, particularly someone who'd, who'd perfected the franchise model of his business. And I said, you know, tell me about franchising. And, you know, firstly, he gave me this massive, massive tomb to read um, on McDonald's. And I read it. And he based his business on, on, on McDonald's. And I kept thinking about a venue. I kept thinking about a business. And ultimately, I believe in the last 10 years, the, 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 the most successful explosion in our industry has been the coffee shop. Um, which is born, kind of born, being born out on the basis of Costa Coffee sold uh, for 16 million and then sold, you know, Whitbread sold it for 4 billion. And um, I just felt that if I was going to get into, you know, this, this business, I wanted a coffee shop. And then I sort of thought, well, yeah, but the problem is if you own a building and you close it at five, what happens? You know, these buildings, the rates don't stop at five o'clock. You know, heat, light, water, electricity don't stop. So I thought if I could get a building big enough and I could have a coffee shop on one side, a bar on the other, and then the coffee shop closes at five and then I reopen it again at 5.30 as a bistro, maybe I'm, I'm, you know, maybe I might have come up with something that's breaking the mould of the boozer. That, you know, there is, there is life on the high street for um, a pub, but it's not a pub. And people say, well, yeah, what have you got then? And I say, well, I, I, it's a coffee shop, a bistro and a bar, and it's got a great garden. And so, you know, it's almost a hybrid. Um, but, you know, I look at, and I'm greatly inspired by Richard Caring and, you know, the Ivy Brasserie. You know, I think, you know, he's got the billions. So, I mean, it just works. You know, his finish is amazing. And... I've tried to sort of emulate that in a little way. I've tried to emulate, you know, Mark Bennett is a, is a local uh, patisserie owner and, and he has done brilliantly with his coffee shops. And I've just, you know, I've not reinvented the wheel because you don't have to, but I've nicked. I've nicked a little bit of Mark's business, you know, in terms of his, his what, he, what he has to offer. And... You know, I've nicked a little bit of what, you know, the Ivy is and I've nicked a little bit of, you know, what Robin Hudson's doing now with the pig. And I've got obviously my own ideas. Um, and hopefully I've created this sort of hybrid, which I really want to. Um, this is kind of just to try and prove the blueprint. But these need to be, I think, in cities with a footfall. We have no footfall here. You know, so I need to be on a high street in a big old boozer in Birmingham and Edinburgh and Manchester. And that's where I want to go with it. So, you know, I'm an old man. I'm 52. You know, I haven't got another 25 years in me. So I've got to perfect this model as quickly as I can, as efficiently as I can. And then I want to take it, you know, up and down the country. Okay, amazing. And um, right on cue, the reason I was looking around then is, you know, there are people sat in the background outside of the fishbowl that we're sat in, and we've not opened the wine yet. Um, and there are people, yeah, literally, you know, drinking a cup of tea, and there's a family in and stuff, having some coffee, and it looks like maybe some cake at the end there. So uh, yeah, you've, you, you know, it's, it's a, it is a lovely environment. You're right, it feels like it wouldn't be out of place in a city. And, and as you say, there would be a shed load more footfall yeah, if that was the case. But uh, yeah, congrats on what you've created. It's got, it's got a really lovely vibe.
What have you noticed that's different? So you had a gap of, what, about seven years, six, seven years? Yeah, six years, Is, yeah. Does the industry feel different to you now than it did six or seven years ago? Or even when you started in 2008, there's been quite a big growth in that fast casual dining sector, the venture capitalist kind of backed big brands and stuff. Do you notice anything like that? Does it feel different now than as it did? Or do you feel it's a, you know, a booming time for the industry? I think it's a, I think it's a very challenging time for the industry. Um, but uh, I think, uh, you know, going up against what I've tried to do here is, you know, create a bistro if we're talking, you know, I'll talk about that part of our business. And I've tried to price our menu the same as Pizza Express. So, you know, sort of, you, you know, a pizza now is 15 quid. You know, I, you know, I always thought they were seven or eight quid, but then, you know, they're not, they're 15 quid. So you can come into us and you can have bangers and mash and a dessert for 15 quid. But I tell you, it will be the best bangers and mash that you'll have and a great dessert um, because I've got five highly trained, highly motivated chefs. So um, I think the difference is that you really have to you know, social media has massively uh evolved in those six years everything's out there. trip advisor was out there when i was but it was just getting going you know you got you know the odd person that knew about it um and now i think like you say everything's instant you know sort of you know people will you know will blog will will post you know all you know constantly so so i think you have to be really good at what you do because you'll get shot down in flames. And I think that, I think there's there's space for everybody. You know, I, there's no point in me trying to compete with lots of you know deals and cheap deals and and you know with 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 the huge conglomerates because I can't. But what I can do in terms of competing with them is is that customer service, is the quality of what we do, is you know the quality of our wine. I know I can buy cheaper wine. And I know I can buy cheaper ingredients. You know, we were making, Chef was making a chicken liver parfait um, to go on our menu, you know, two days ago. And I said, Chef, you know, I'm not teaching you to suck eggs, but please stick decent brandy from the bar in this parfait. We can buy cooking brandy, but it's rubbish. And we'll go the extra mile because I know when that customer comes into us and buys that, that parfait and eats it, they'll go, wow, that's really nice. And I could be wrong, but just that little story, you know, the, the chains aren't doing it. And you could, you'll only do that if you've got the experience. And people will come back and they'll come back and they'll come back. And that's why we're full tonight. We're full tomorrow. We're full Sunday. You can't, we've been full for a week, you can't get in, you know, but you, you literally, you know, we're squeezing my, 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 my partner's parents in at, at like five to six and we want their table back at quarter past. I mean, you know, they're having the world's quickest meal, but it's, we've got to come. We've got, we've got to, we've got to come. And so, you know, I think that's the difference. You've got to be so good, but you can't charge a fortune for it. Everyone's price sensitive. And so when you get a customer, you've got to really look after them. You can't be, uh, you, uh, you know, just think that, okay, well, if we, if we upset them, somebody else will come along because they have a bad experience. It's out there. Within seconds, it's on social media. And, and that's the big change, you know, because it wasn't, I wasn't on Instagram. You know, now I spend, you know, a lot of time, you know, looking at restaurants, looking at reviews, looking, oh God, we've got a bad review. Let me have a look at such and such a restaurant, see what, oh, they've got bad reviews as well. And, you know, it's, it's, I think it's tougher than ever. 
And, and you know, but why? Why do they get back in? It's just in the blood. Because when I, you know, when I sit here, I stand on the past. Or Saturday night, you know, we're overbooked. I don't know how we're going to do it. We've taken too many. You know, you think, wow, five months ago, this was a derelict boozer boarded up. You know, a year ago, it was full of drugs and fights. And now look at it. And you think, yeah, we've, got, we've just got to keep doing this because we can do it. You know, we can, you know, it, it, you know my, my sort of, you know, my, my girlfriend's father, who was a very successful businessman, he said, David, if it was easy, they'd all be doing it. And he's absolutely right. You know, you and I don't do this. We're not involved in this industry because it's easy. It's the bloody hardest thing in the world. And you said to me, what the hell are you doing, you idiot? You, you've gone and done it again. And the thing is, it's a bit like, you know, tell a child, don't, don't go too near the fire. You'll burn yourself. You know, and I am going to get burned and I am going to get frustrated and I am going to, you know, wake up in the, as I did at four o'clock this morning, you know, as we all do. Why do we do? I don't know why we do it. I think there's, there's a screw loose, but I think we love it and we care about it. And, and, you know, to see people when they leave, they say, you know, where people say, David, that was amazing. And you think that's why we do it. And hopefully the money will, 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 will follow after you. You know, but, you know, we're not doing it to be multimillionaire. Well, unless we can do 100 of these and franchise, you know, that's the dream. But um, I don't know. It's just, it, I wouldn't do anything else. It's just ingrained in you. And I love it. I love being in the kitchen. I love watching those boys. It's like you're performing on a stage or the close, you know, eight o'clock on a Saturday night when everyone's on their game. It's fantastic. And you go out into your packed restaurant and you see smiling people and people want to talk to you and you know, tell you what a great time they're having. That's why we do it. Mm. It's, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's, yeah, it's a weird thing is that we know we're insane, but we can't stop it. I share that, that kind of passion and that excitement about, you know, turning around buildings, but fundamentally, you know, the buzz comes from the energy of the people, I think, isn't it? When you see families or business meetings or, or graduations, I know you've got a wake in here today. You create these environments for human beings to have all of these relationships and spend time with each other, which you just can't replicate online. Can you, this, this kind of moving a million miles an hour into the digital world and everything's done online and relationships are all on Facebook and social and stuff like that. Yet, you know, I passionately believe that we're the antidote to that and the human relationship as we are now sitting opposite each other. You know, there's a reason that I'm not doing these via Skype and stuff at the moment is it's all about yeah, human relationship and being able to spend time with people. So hats off to you for creating it because I think the world would be a duller place, you know, if the, if the formulaic brands take over the high street and places like this disappear, then for me, we've missed an opportunity and and, and, it, and it's dull and it's tedious. So the whole point of these conversations for me is that people hear them, they hear, you know, I can feel the passion that comes out of you when you get excited and you talk about a busy full restaurant and how proud you are. And I agree 100%, you don't do that with your initial motivator being money. You know, you do it to make people happy and to feel that energy and you hope the money comes but i really hope the public kind of you know hear that and they feel that energy and that they do come because you know if these places aren't financially viable like you say the museum you know just just break even point is kind of where you want to be and then that everything else after that is is a bonus basically so uh, one thing you mentioned is the quality of the food and i and you've always wherever you've been had a reputation for that 
just for anyone thinking of going into the industry, you know, the, the challenge around chefs, you know, there's, it, it's, it's uh, kind of nationally aware at the moment on the difficulty in the industry with, you know, just in, in general and, and maybe with, uh, with Brexit and immigration and, and where people come from. Uh, and I was chatting to the college a little while ago, and I think they, they said the local college had six students coming on board for their chef training this year, go back four or five years, and they had 60 students coming in. What's your thoughts around, it's a, it's a tough job, um, you know, it's hot in the kitchen. And uh, yeah, what's your thoughts around the trajectory of, of recruitment and chefs as a career? And are you finding it more challenging now than originally to recruit? It's, um, I think it's strange in actual fact. I mean, you know, so far, you know, so good um, in as much as, you know, yeah, we've lost a couple of boys, um, y- you know, but um, probably because they didn't have the, the skill sets, but we've replaced them um, with, you know, people that, that I think, you know, are getting it, you know, and, and what I mean by that is sort of getting our ethos. And I think that um, you said what's changed, you know, I th- you know, th- there was this whole, you know, bullying culture in, in, in kitchens and I point blank refuse for that to take place. And anyone that's, you know, uh, worked with me knows that I just do not allow it. You know, I wouldn't allow, you know, you wouldn't allow it in any other walk of society, you know, in schools or, 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 or anywhere. And so um, I'm not, you know, I think people have got a, a sort of an idea that, you know, sort of every kitchen is about abuse. And I'm kind of saying, well, actually, it's not. You know, if you've got a strong figurehead like me, like you, who won't, you know, won't allow that to happen. And you have to mould your chefs. Yeah, my head chef, I've had to put it. I said, you, you cannot, you cannot do that. I mean, please be aware if this, I will fire you. You make no bones about it. And so, you know, it's almost an appeal to, to, to guide, you know, if you get it right and if you get the working environment right and the balance right, you know, the, there are successful restaurants in our town, in our conurbation, you know, that are making these guys work 70 hours, 80 hours a week. It's wrong. You know, they need two days off. They need two days off together a week. You know, we don't open on a Sunday night. So anyone that works a Sunday, my head chef says, oh, don't keep saying that. They get three nights off a week. You know, so yes, kitchens are tough environments. But you, if you study and you get into a decent kitchen that is not... You know, beasting you is is you know is you know isn't giving you your days off. You know that, that is making you work eighty hours a week. You need to get out of that kitchen because there are kitchens around, and you know my kitchen, my kitchen is 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 that way inclined that you will get some time off. Learn your craft, learn your trade, stay in one place for a little bit. You don't be so eager just to move. You know, we've lost a guy. He's gone back to London. He's, oh, this isn't really my sort of food. And you're thinking, yeah, but surely this environment will encourage you. You know, I, you know, I remember going to the Manuel Katsos on and talking to uh, Gary Jones, uh, Raymond Blanc's head chef. I said, you know, said to Gary, look, any chance of sending a chef up for a stage? Yeah, David, literally ring me next week. Send one of your boys or go. I sent a girl up there and she learned so much free of charge. I paid for her to go and stay in you know, Oxfordshire. She came back like, you know, a transformed person. You, once you've learned this craft, you can, skies are the limit. 
You know, I've got guys that work with me that knew nothing that are now running, you know, vineyards in New Zealand. They're working on super super yachts in the Caribbean. They, you know, some remain in quite tough kitchens, but kitchens, you know, we need to encourage, you know, young chefs and say, look, it's not about beasting. It's not about shouting. It's, you know, it's about nurturing. And if you get the right figurehead, you know, skies are the limit. It's tough. We're not saying it's easy. It's not. It's bloody difficult. You're on your feet all day eating, you know, unbelievably, most of the time eating rubbish, eating a handful of chips. You know, they, you know, chefs, you know, awful, you know, um, they smoke too much. You know, they, they, they don't eat the right foods. They prepare great food all day and then go home and eat, you know, nothing. Um, but that's a way of life. That's just the way it is. But, but it, it's a great industry and it's the only industry, like you say, where you don't have to be academic to earn quite you know, a few quid. You know, I, you know, my, you know the, the, the wages in my kitchen are really good, really strong. You know, head chef is earning some serious money. You know, you talk to, you know, my mate Luke Matthews at the Tewton Glen. I mean, you know, if you get it right and work with the right people, you can earn some serious wedge. And you can go, you start in a kitchen, you know, in pool. You could be in New York. You can be, you know, in Venezuela. You can, you can literally go anywhere. You can, we've got a boy that's going to do a ski season. I hate you. He's, he's brilliant. But he's saying, hold on a minute. I've just got it. I can go and work, you know, and ski every day. You know, hats off to him. Well done. You can because you're a good chef. You can go anywhere. You, if you study your craft, learn your craft in a good kitchen that's not, has zero tolerance to bullying it's a brilliant career and you just we need to talk to these people you know before the college stage and say look last the course because what else are you going to do it's yeah. better than you know being on the back of a dust cart you know you don't have to have the huge qualifications just you know some energy some passion you know learn you know keep your ears open and uh, it's a great you know it can be a, a great career mm. leading to all sorts of stuff I'm just going to take that last few minutes clip, I think, David, and, and we need to get that into the ears of some kids who are thinking of going into this industry and into this sector and, and play them that because that's a great, you know, great message. It's inspirational. It can show them how it should be. I think the industry has done itself a disservice over the last 20 years, and you've got to blame some of the TV celebrity chefs for that with their kind of sweary, bullying kind of in-your-face. And, and some of my chefs have done up and done stages in London in some of the, the Michelin-starred restaurants, and they're literally working from 5, 6 in the morning, till one in the morning few hours sleep uh, you know they come back and they look ill they're buzzing you know mm. they've got photos of glorious food and they're inspired by ingredients but they are getting an absolute beasting still and I, you know I worry that puts people off but you're right you know get in the right place we're the same at the moment it's winter in the summer it's a bit of a different story but you know we're shut Sunday Monday Tuesday night and it's predominantly because then Wednesday to Sunday is one team of people you know it's uh, it's five days in a row Sunday lunch is a big service but then they get yeah Sunday night hopefully Monday Tuesday including the evenings off and then back into work and I do think the industry has realized you know people's expectations at work have changed you know that modern social media everybody's connected everybody's talking about their jobs and and their money and it's all very open and yeah we we just need to catch up with that but it is 
yeah, again, when it's working, it's such a it's such an incredible job and an incredible experience. And and the banter and the relationship. You know, I'd much rather get into a brigade in the kitchen than get into a brigade in the army and get shot. But I imagine the kind of the relationship with your peers and how you know you're in the thick of it on a Saturday night. I'm not saying that running a kitchen is the same of kind of getting shot in Afghanistan, but clearly that buzz and that and that relationship with your uh, with your colleagues is exceptional when you get it right. So I think it's exciting. Um, we're getting very short on time, but I also wanted to touch on you mentioned the impact on your family. And if you learn anything this time round, you know, one of the biggest things I hear when I chat to people is people with young kids and this sector, because it's 24 seven and we're all at work on, you know, Friday night, Saturday, Sunday, when everybody else is off and having their downtime, it's a tough nut to crack that, that work-life blend or balance. Any advice for anybody getting into it and how you do that? Have you cracked it? Uh, have I cracked it? Um, no, I mean, you know, I think you just need to, um, I, I, I spend, um, you know, probably more time with my boys, um, than, you know, than probably any other dad at, at, at school, but you know, you, you do have to be able, particularly in holiday times to manipulate that. And we can only do that because we're business owners. So if you're not a business owner, then it is difficult. The only thing that I would say is that once you become a parent, and hopefully, you know, if you're a good parent, you can say to, you know, my head chef's got got three children. And I say to him, look, chef, you know, I respect, you know, you're a family man. I'm a family man. You know, I will you know, give you the time that you require, you know, with your children. And, you know, but you've also, there's, it's, it's a trade-off, you know, so you've got to go the extra mile for me so I can go the extra mile for you. And you know, we've got to protect your family. You know, and and make sure that that you know they see you know their dad, and um, you know you have quality time with your wife, and it is hard. Um, but you just, I think, once you become a parent, you realise that 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 you have to, um, you 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 can't work these people so hard. You need to you know, give them that that quality time, and I, I, I guess you need a business owner that's a that's a that's a parent. You know that that realizes. You know, I I always remember I had a a, a, a great uh, doctor customer. He used to come into the cow, and you know he was really popular. Had you know t- two children, and he and he said to me um, one day, he said, you know, my biggest regret is that I worked too hard and I didn't see my kids. I just you know I just worked too hard and didn't see my kids. And you just need to manipulate it however however you know, it, well if you care you know if you if you care about being a parent um you know and uh, you you need to work at it you know it, it you you need to work your rotors you need to you know to give that time off and you know you then get this loyalty you know if you're you know you, you it, it, it's a trade-off mm. it's hard it's very very difficult it but, is you know. I, I think there's an irony that we spend all of our time kind of creating again spaces for families to spend time with each other and what we get a buzz out of seeing that couple out on a on a date or seeing somebody out for their anniversary or sunday lunch when you bring the kids and the grandparents and they're all sat together and that's what we do we create the environment where these families can create memories you know there's nothing more important for me than than people creating these relationships with their peers and, and remembering and the irony that behind the scenes of that is an industry where that's incredible difficult and and it breaks my heart sometimes when I hear about the challenges of you know some of the guys in the team with managing their relationships and seeing their kids and you're like yeah you can create the culture where you go look it's fundamentally this is really important we've got to get that right but the flip side is 
you know, I don't write the rotors. I'm kind of like, guys, you're empowered. I want you to have some time off. I want you to have holiday. I want you to do it. But you have got to also, you know, match that with being motivated to kind of train up your deputies uh, and, and, and get organized and book your holiday in ahead of time and plan for it. So, yeah, it's supporting it and almost demanding it and saying, guys, look, I want to see your holiday. I want to see every every three months you've got a week booked in for your holiday and I want to know who's covering it. But yeah, creating that culture and that environment where you encourage. I think it's a good bit of advice is probably go and get a job with with an owner who's a dad and uh, or, or a mum and then they'll, yeah. they'll appreciate the challenge. Um, and then finally, you know, I go and do talks to schools sometimes and chats to kids about um, just about business and entrepreneurship and getting into business and, and sometimes in this sector and or, or sometimes not and chat, chatting with parents sometimes where you see, you know young kids come into the kitchen in the industry or maybe front of house and uh you know i think parents perceive it as a as, as a temporary job and, and you try and chat to them about the you know the genuine career opportunities that are there and the speed that you can come up the ladder but um maybe for people who are looking for you know for going into business in hospitality or they come to you from for some advice do you ever do you ever hear advice do you ever see business advice is there anything that nulls you where you kind of go you know, that's, that's shitty advice. That's fundamentally rubbish. Is there, is there anything you, you, you hear that's either really bad or any advice that you would give that's really good for somebody that's looking um, to go out and get into this sector? I don't, yeah, I, I haven't really heard sort of any, you know, really bad advice. Um, you know, I, I think that, that if I was, cause I'm not, I'm the world's worst waiter. I'm not a waiter. You know, I'm not, I'm not a chef. I'm not, you know, uh, I'm just a, I guess an entrepreneur that loves you know the service industry. Um, so so I haven't really heard any sort of bad advice. But if I was, uh, yeah, I've I've got a couple of young guys that work for me, and and I I would say to anyone looking to get into the industry, look at a sort of an operation that you enjoy going to. Um, and that you you know you you think you could immerse you know, yourself into the culture. So you know we we touched on the Hotel de Van earlier. I mean a, you know a brilliant organisation with some really really you know incredible people working there. Um, and if that's your thing, if you know, that's your your you know your level, um, then you know just target you know the places that you like. You know rather than just sort of roll into you know. A ho- you know, I'm not knocking hotel, you know, kitchens, but, you know, stuff that isn't very good because then it's a bit like taking up a sport, you know, late in life, like, go- you know, you pick up bad habits. Don't pick up bad habits. You know, look at somewhere. If I was starting out, um, I'd go to the Ivy. And I'd say, right, okay, um, the Ivy Brasso, I'd say, right, how do I get on a, a training program? Because I know their training is amazing, you know, or I would go, you know, to Rick Stein's, you know, if that was my thing, you know, I'd go and, and I'd, you know, try, you know, I, I'd, I'd target particular uh, uh, um, restaurants or, or businesses um, for their culture, right? You know, and, and the, that's the, that's the only piece of advice that I, I could give really is, is you got to work in a place that you're going to, that you like, that you believe in, that, that you like the food, you like the wine, you like the ambience, you like what they do. Um, you know, I would think somewhere like the pig would be an amazing place to work. You know, I mean, imagine going to work, you know, the pig on the beach, you know, with that view, you know, who doesn't want to run their pizza, you know, their, 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 um, you know, pizza, their, 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 the flatbreads, you know, with that view, you know, 
Amazing, yeah. you know. Yeah. So I just, but if if your thing is, I want to be the next Gordon Ramsay, go knock on his door and go and get a job in his. You you will be beasted. You will be working eighty hours a week. You will earn no money. You will have no life. You are, you know, you, you. But if that's your thing, then that's what you got to do. So you know, the the advice I would give is go and work. You know, target the places that you like and go and get a job there. Mm. You can pick up a job quite easily. I think focusing on on what you're learning rather than what you're earning in yeah. those initial stages oh, yeah, is yeah. so important. Yeah. And there's too many people who come in and go, you know what, I'd be really good at that. And if you pay me, you know, I'll do it. And I'm kind of like, look, not being rude, but here's the margins, here's the numbers, here's what we're making. You show me, I'll pay you. Just flip it the other way around. Just put the graft in, hmm. learn the stuff, and the earnings will come. But you've got to put in that that kind of hard work initially. So, well, look, I just want to say. Um, I'll be championing for you. I, I'm so grateful that people like you are in our sector and that they're bonkers enough, even when they get out of it, to come back in. And just because they create stuff that's interesting with a genuine love for what they do and a genuine passion, it's not about the P&L. It's not about a, a kind of faceless, faceless corporate board of directors sat somewhere up in London where everything's a number. You know, this is what, for me, hospitality is all about. Genuine, genuine love of the industry and of the people. And, you know, hospitality, if anything, is about human beings, isn't it? And, you know, this is all about the, the humans of hospitality. You, David, are a great one. I would love to come back and see how this evolves. You know, maybe we can sit down again in, in 12 or 24 months and see what happens next. But uh, thank you for sparing the time and uh, and, and good luck on the uh, on the Amazing Sacks adventure. Before we go, where can people find out more? Where should they go online to find out more about you or the restaurant or so, make a booking? Yeah, well, so just, just go www.maisonsacks.com and you'll see our website, you'll see our menus, you'll see, you'll see what we're about. Um, and um, yeah, just you know, come down and see us. You know, Collar me, let's have a chat, let's have a glass of wine. Um, you know, come and uh, experience uh, what we've got to offer. It'd be great. Perfect. Okay. Thank you, David. Good Thank luck. You. Thanks, Mark. So there you have it. You have reached the end of another episode of the Humans of Hospitality podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Please go and visit our website, humansofhospitality.co.uk, for the show notes and extra episodes and information. And whilst you're there, don't forget to sign up for our newsletter and to receive free materials all about the humans behind our incredible industry. Lastly, if you could subscribe, rate and review this podcast, you will be massively helping me out and it would be hugely appreciated. Thank you so much. We'll be launching another podcast in just seven days' time. Cheers. Cheers.